Hi there, I'm JP, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a master of divinity, and um, I've been one for about three years now, and uh, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a long road, uh, but you know, just got my chip, and it kinda, I feel rewarded for, for staying on the road for three years. Uh, I'm on the eighth step, are you trying to talk like you're like a like you're like an addict? <laughs> I guess yeah. I, I wasn't. I, I don't know. I was just. I was. I was riffing. You were riffing, yeah. which is what we, we 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 often do on this here podcast. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, I'm JP. I'm I'm the the moderator. This is Masters of Indian. I'm here with Father Chuck. Hey, what's up? You know, I I realize um, in our um, in the pop culture catechism thing that I started recently. Um, and do, as you've noticed, if you've watched it, if, um, you will notice that I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit curious, but what do we call ourselves? Are we the masters? Because like, we always talk about you It's like, hi, I'm your, co-, you know, this is, you know, oh, like I'm, official JP, titles. I'm the moderator and I'm with Chuck and I'm with Matt. And then like, whenever I step into the hosting role, I always say, I'm the moderator. We always talk about like, we always know who the moderator is. What are the, what are the non moderators? Like, what are we? Are uh, we I the mean, masters? Technically how I always saw it is each one of us are our hosts and so we're all co-hosts but one okay, of us so only one of us is the moderator and that's sort of like a whoever's steering the ship okay for that episode okay so then i would say that i that i am one of the hosts of masters of divinity yeah yeah a member of the mod squad uh, if is, is, if you if you so desire yeah but I, okay. i've actually thought it's about yeah i mean yeah but i've actually thought about ditching the whole moderator moniker because it's not right. really a panel anymore. Like all three of us kind of equally talk, right? Um, but I guess it, it there does it, there does require some steerage. Yes, some point that, you know, and, and that person is sort of like a skipper, uh, right? So I, right. I don't know. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what you you're not the moderator. You're the skipper. <laughs> Do not call me skipper. Um, <laughs> you're the skipper. Um, um, uh, I'm trying to think if, if it's me or Matt is the Gilligan. Uh, um, I'm definitely the Gilligan. <laughs> you can be Gilligan. Matt Matt can be uh, the professor. Or I'm trying to think actually if I'm the professor because like I you're don't technically know. like I'm Ginger. Let's be honest. <laughs> you and Matt are Ginger and Marianne settled. <laughs> <clears throat> and you're the skipper. Uh, there is no Gilligan. Gilligan is you, the listener. <laughs> <laughs> our our little buddy. Uh, yeah. So. Um, um, it's, it's a new year. It is. It's 2019. How crazy is that? I know. And for some reason, I'm really excited about 2019. I think it's because it's been 20 years since 1999. And I've, I have a lot of fond memories of 1999. Yeah. I mean, just, just in the fact that 1999 is easily one of the greatest years in movie history. I agree. Wholeheartedly. Uh, it was so related to that. Um, Kana and I, a gift that I bought for us for Christmas yeah. was the um, first six episodes of Star Wars on Blu-ray. Nice. Um, and so we have embarked. Last night we started. Um, we are gonna we are gonna watch them in what is called machete order. Okay. Um, for listeners who don't know about machete order, it comes from a small a smallish blog called um, Machete Juggling Not Allowed. Or no, absolutely no machete juggling. That's what it's called. Um, and the guy who started it decided he was going to call this machete order. And what it is is you watch, um, you watch A New Hope, 
Empire, Stri- Empire Strikes Back, and then you watch um, uh, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, then Return of the Jedi. Um, and he's got a great article about how this all works out and how it makes all the movies better. Um, and so Kana and I have been talking for years about doing this, so we finally decided to do that. But the reason I mention all this is because the one movie that we're not watching in all of this, well, we will later, but is one that will be 20 years old today, or this year, and that is... Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. 1999, 20 years. I mean, The Matrix was also 1999, the 20 Matrix, years. Uh, the Mummy. Uh, the Mummy. Blair Witch the, the Project. The Good Mummy. Yeah, The Good oh, Mummy. Blair Witch, wow. Blair Witch Project. Um, and... Yeah, I actually have some plans this year. I need to sort of pay tribute to that year, and a more personal yeah. note. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a it was such a great year in movies, such a great year in pop culture, um, and I. Um, but what's crazy to think is just as an aside, just in terms of thinking about Star Wars in the moment, is that so twenty years ago, or so twenty years ago, Phantom Menace came out. Yeah, realize that Phantom Menace came out 22 years after a new hope yeah so there is almost you know when we were kids it felt like it had been like like a century it felt since like 100 star years wars, yeah since like a star wars movie had been made yeah but it was only 20 years I like know. i look at it right now i'm thinking wow phantom minutes like feels like it just came out um yeah, yeah, yeah. but um it's kind of interesting that that, that you know the way that as we get older our perception of time changes um well that too and and i think a lot of it has to do with uh you know a lot of people are saying like uh like richard linklater who made boyhood yeah when he made that movie that takes place over a span of like 12 years and he said that his biggest surprise is like how much the culture didn't change like styles and fashion and right media in general and stuff and when you kind of think about it and I've, i've looked into sort of the reasoning behind this and i think it's because you know the 70s we're so much closer to that enormous cultural shift that happened. Mm-hmm. A, big, yeah. a big cultural revolution happened in this country in, this, in the late 60s that like changed everything. It changed the way we dress, changed the way we talk, changed the way we listen to music, watch movies, uh, the politics, uh, socially, all kinds of things. And so like, you know, we, we've always been in that post-revolution era, which it's, has caused us to like, just sort of rapidly advance and you know there hasn't been another revolution, and like most most revolutions, quote revolutions that happen have been like technological, I guess, and they've been like corporate sponsors, so that it's not going to create much of a social change. Right. So that's why twenty years ago, today is less uh, less dynamic than twenty years ago from like nineteen ninety nine. Right. Well, and there's also, of course, the little theory that I cooked up for us earlier on, on our, in our, in our Facebook message, yeah. which about is about, should I, should I just go into that? Is that something sure, we should just ahead. jump yeah, right into? You should do it. Um, so I'll mention what inspired it. I shouldn't take credit for this. It was, I was reading an article in, on, on crack.com of blessed memory mm-hmm. and it, um, it, there was a comment on this about, um, our our perceptions of happiness and success and how those perceptions have kind of messed with our heads, like how, how we just how, how the pressure that people feel and whatnot. But this guy who made this comment um, mentioned how basic, he, he didn't say it outright, but it got me thinking about how um, 
so much of our perception of happiness, success, fulfillment, and all of that is shaped by the baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the baby boomer gener- generation came of age, um, be- entered into the professional world and started becoming like the, the creatives, the people who shape culture, um, like intentionally shaping culture, um, in the 1970s. That's when they entered their twenties. And we have a tendency to look at the 1970s as kind of a depressing time. Um, but if you think about it, if the, if, because the, the comment this guy made was that when you actually look at the, when you look at some of the actual data of the 1970s, it wasn't that depressing of a time, like in terms of, in terms of, 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 you know, it was colorful, exciting. And there were people who were doing well in their lives, people who felt degrees of success and all that. But the, the movies and pop culture of the 70s make it seem like it wasn't. And his argument, and this is the argument that I sort of picked up on, is that that was because the baby boomers were in their 20s just entering into the professional world in the 1970s. And that is a very dep- – that's a depressing and uncertain time mm-hmm. for everyone involved. Um, and so the idea then that they would reflect that worldview onto everyone by shape because they made the movies and the television and everything um, that, 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 that sort of shaped us into thinking that way. Um, and then, of course, things suddenly get really positive in the 80s. Right. But that's when, they, that's when they start entering their 30s. They're more established in their careers. They're having kids. Um, they're, you know, they've, they finally found some degree of success. So then it makes sense. Oh yeah. Now this actually, this is a great time. And then their kids become teenagers, like, you know, like middle school to teenagers in the nineties. And so there's all this angst that comes with that. And then there's, you know, and then of course the, that generation begins to start coming into their own in the two thousands, they start taking over and stuff. it begins to start changing. But this idea that our understanding of the 20th century, particularly the later half of the 20th century is shaped by the memories and perspective of the baby boomers because they were in charge of creating our culture, our movies, our television, our art, you know, like painting, all of that um, is it to me, it's a very interesting thing to talk about and to think about. And I think it's interesting that we're talking right now about, you know, 20 years on from the nineties and how we're looking back and experiencing it and how much of it was, you know, handed on to us. And maybe the reason why it doesn't feel so drastically different is because from because for the past 20 years, the baby boomers are in retirement age. And so they're not necessarily making any major changes. And so because they're the ones yeah. kind of still holding the purse strings on making movies and television and other thing, it's sort of stagnated because they've stagnated. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at this through the lens of uh, as you know, as like a filmmaker and I look at it the lens of cinema history. And the 70s is when the new Hollywood era had started. Right. Uh, technically, like late 60s, but the 70s is when it exploded. You had, you know, Steven Spielberg, you had Martin Scorsese, you had Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Brian De Palma, uh, George Lucas, you know, all yeah. this, 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 the, the movie brats, as they were called, who had right. sort of, the, the studio system had, had been like demolished. And then these brats came in and changed everything. Like Terrence Malick, right? Terrence, yeah, Terrence Malick to a certain extent, yeah. Because uh, Badlands, he, wrote, he did Badlands in yeah, the 70s. Yeah, he's definitely one of the, of the generation influenced by like the new French wave and a lot of world cinema that was influencing them. And also like classic studio system films like in the 30s and 40s. Um, and so when I look at their career trajectory, uh, you know, 70s was a real experimental time. You know, you had Jaws, you had Chinatown, you had Taxi Driver. Carrie, Badlands, um, 
these really uh, visceral and envelope pushing films that are really grabbing people to, people's attention, made by like twenty five year olds, which is which had never been done in Hollywood, at least right. not in like in decades, at least not since it had been like founded back in the silent era, you know, uh, before the Hayes Code, um, and then you kind of roll into the eighties and just kind of rolling with success, you know, Spielberg right. is probably doing the. Is doing the best. Spielberg and, and Lucas are probably doing better than anybody else during the '80s because it's like they're tapping into that sort of family-friendly market, <laughs> you know, right. making genre well, pictures. You know, a movie weirdly, I think just because you're thinking, about it, you know, a movie I sort of just in my subconscious when I think of the '80s and I think of '80s movies. Mm-hmm. Do you know what movie comes to mind for some odd reason, but not necessarily odd? And that is Michael J. Fox is the secret of my success. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like that is such a quintessential distillation of the 80s financial success mindset. Oh, uh, I mean, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Which is like the most pro-capitalist movie of the 80s. Right. I mean, the, the, the Environmental Protection Agency are the villains in that movie. Yeah, it's all about like, we're going to save the world by starting a business. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and, you know, screw, screw, screw the public sector. We're going to the private sector. Right. Um, screw academia. We're going to start a little, a little business and... And, uh, and, we, and, and, we, and we're going to fight against regulation because that stifles yeah. in, uh, entrepreneurial creativity. There's little nuances in, like, lines that people say that, like, I never picked up growing up until, like, recently until I started getting more, like, aware about politics and stuff. But, like, even Bill Murray, Peter Vakeman mentions, like, talking about outsourcing, like, doing contract work for the military. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of scary, like, with their nuclear weapons. Right. Um. Yeah, so I think that's that's an interesting way to look at it, um, and then you have like John Carpenter who made like They Live, which is like kind of the I, I've sort of found this to be like the antithesis to Ghostbusters, right? Um, great double feature. Um, so, but what I was getting at '80s, like everyone's just kind of rolling in it. Like George Lucas, you know, he's you know he's doing his Lucasfilm thing. Spielberg's doing his Amblin thing. Um, you know, the other artsy guys are kind of are wafting a little, and the '90s things start to kind of like die out. And I think it's because they're they're getting older, they're having kids, they're having families. You know, nineties was like the, the only decade was without Star Wars, <laughs> except for like the special editions. Right. Um so yeah, it is it's interesting. Um when you think about how the older they get, like the more I guess lame some of the projects become. You know, with 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 some with a few exceptions. Right. I mean you look at I mean, Spielberg, Spielberg's always been kind of an exception, but he, he starts really just getting into like prestige. Oh yeah. Movies. Yeah. Um, Schindler's list. Yeah. Um, but like Lucas, I mean, gosh, what a, what a, what an example there. He just, he just got into just the corporate, like, you know, maximizing profits with like Dolby and Skywalker sound or not Dolby THX. Right. Skywalker sound and Lucasfilm and LucasArts. ILM. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's the interesting thing about, thing about Lucas for me is that he, he stops being a filmmaker pretty much after star Wars, like yeah. a new hope because he, he hands the reins off. He becomes, you know, he's an executive producer for the other two movies and he just focuses so much of his efforts and energy on, you know, film technique, special effects, that kind of thing and works really closely with Jim Henson studio to do a lot of things. Cause I know like what's Henson studio is involved with like Willow and right. I think also with the Ewok movies. Um, oh, yes. Um, we got to talk and, about those movies one day. 
Yes, we do. <laughs> but so, I mean, some very interesting, you know, it's an interesting alternative avenue of creativity that he takes during that time period. Yeah, because it's, um, it's so he's it's, not a storyteller. He's not a storyteller, but he's definitely innovating. Yeah, he's innovating. But what, what's so weird about it is like that's not that was never who Lucas wanted to be. And right. it's, it was never like his the skin that he was comfortable in, both like the corporate skin and the like, you know, fantasy film maker thing like he you know if you go back and you watch THX 1138 and American Graffiti like that is George Lucas like that that's the mm-hmm. kind of stuff he thought he was going to make for the rest of his life and apparently right. he's making right now and he's not showing anybody interesting <laughs> that's what he said he was going to do after he sold Star Wars off I'd be really interested to see what he's doing if he is doing Seven Secret I, like, I'd be really interested in that I would and too. um but I I also think of um you know, since we're somewhat on a Star Wars wave right now as we're talking about this, about, um, of course, my, my beloved um, Last Jedi, which um, I have determined, in my opinion, and, uh, um, you know, we may lose listeners over this, but I, I think it's the best Star Wars movie. Um, period? Period. Really? I mean, I, I, I'll probably be watching Empire tonight, so I'll get to reassess, but um, okay. I kind of think that Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie. And why do you think that? I need I need to know. I need to probe this. And since we're just riffing, I can do that. Um, I think because it 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 does a lot to expand the mythology mm-hmm. of what uh, the core mythology of what Star Wars is about, particularly around like the Force. Right. Um, and it while also well also to me making a, a statement. Like it makes an artistic statement. I'm not sure that Empire, as good as it is, makes a statement. I think you could divine things, and I think a lot of people have. Um, yeah, I think you're overall right. I think I think a New Hope makes more of a statement than Empire does. Yes, because you know Lucas yes. has always said that's supposed to be like a protest film. Right. Um, yeah, no, totally. And, and watching it last, watching a new hope last night and picking up on the, the subtle politics conversations that are in the margins about like the dissolving of the Senate and the way that the way that Vader and, um, and, um, um, Tarkin, um, are you are doing like all the stuff they're doing to capture Leia and all of that is being done. And, and the way they're using sort of cover their actions so that the Senate doesn't gain, doesn't start developing more sympathy toward the rebellion. Yeah. Like, it's just this stuff that I just never picked up on in all the years I've watched Star Wars. I just never really paid attention to it until this past time. But um, um, in the way that, you know, so that kind of speaks to the way that, like, you know, military industrial complex does those same kind of things. Right. right. They like, you know, they, you know, they've, you know, the way particularly in the 80s when we did stuff with like uh, the Afghanis and the Russians and how we would do, you know, or actually probably more the the, uh, the Latin American um, oh, yeah. revolutionary movements, how we made them look. You know, we try to make them look really bad um, because just you know, everything they, we do in Vietnam, like, <laughs> well, right, right. South, Southeast Asia. Yeah. But um, but no, Last Jedi is um, what I also what I really like about Last Jedi. And I guess is that you you obviously have to take the whole original trilogy and even some of the prequel trilogy in mind when watching it. So I guess in some ways, like in, as a terms of, in terms of a movie of its standalone nature, like it doesn't, it does rely on other things in order to, to make sense as yeah. a, as a film. Um, but the fact that it, 
the well, like for just Luke, because I love Luke Skywalker as a character. And even watching A New Hope last night, I realized Luke has always been impulsive. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's he, he he's just you know he he gets up early in the morning to go try to find R two D two because he doesn't want to get in trouble. Um, or he just runs away from um, he runs away from Obi Wan to go check on his family, regardless of whether or not stormtroopers are currently there and he could get himself killed. He's just a very impulsive person. You know, we see it in empire. We see it in all these other things. Um, and the fact that then that graduates into last Jedi where he sort of realizes I'm an, imp- I'm, I'm, I am this impulsive person and it almost le- led me to kill this kid. Hmm. And so now I'm going to go, I'm, I don't trust myself anymore to not, be impulsive. So I'm actually going to go fly to this middle of nowhere planet. I'm going to make the map disappear. I'm going to crash my X-Wing so I can't even leave if I wanted to um, in order to prevent himself from being that kind of impulsive person, Um, which is, I think, an interesting and and good storytelling piece about, you know, the the, the coming to terms with your person, the kind of person that you are, but also the ways in which we can kind of punish ourselves. Um, And I really like I like the elegance of the film and how, you know, Luke, Luke's triumphant moment at the end of the movie is still sort of fitting within his exile piece because he actually doesn't leave the planet. Um, But he um, um, and he also manages to win a battle by not going like nuts, you know, he's not like Yoda at the end of clone wars when we all lost our minds seeing Yoda do all that flipping and running around and stuff. Luke, Luke is completely in defensive position the entire fight. And, um, and he like, he didn't even have to be because he's not even right. There, so. Right. And so the lessons that's learned and the way just that, that, that all that stuff to me just makes it such a great film. And just the fact that it works with this subtlety, um, this narrative subtlety that's not about, bombast and about I mean the fact that Ryan Johnson would be gutsy enough to not give in to fan service mm-hmm. um, is something that's really great but I but in terms of our conversation that we're having right now what what really strikes me about the movie is I see it as a, a sort of millennial critique of the boomer generation and the way that the boomers have shaped our understanding of culture this thing that I've just talked about that's interesting because um, George Lucas himself says that Luke is him, right? Um, Luke S. Lucas, um, yeah, and that um, he says that you know Luke, you know, he, Luke is a stand-in for him. Um, and so, Last Jedi does kind of a bit of a criticism on 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 some of that, but it also it has this sort of meta-level story around our perception of of Star Wars's own mythology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like with the books that are in the sacred tree and 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 that 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 sense of harboring the past and not letting go and moving on. And um, and that sense of, you know, well, the Jedi, you know, that line where Luke says to Ray, the idea that the Jedi have this exclusive hold over the force is vanity. And that's what led to their downfall um, is you know, what a great thing. Like, I mean, it's just, just some good, honest lessons and self-reflection, um, that come from it. And I think it's just a very, I think it's a very wise movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that when watched correctly, um, I think is a movie that there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be garnered out of it in, per, in terms of how it impacts 
You know, I mean, like the original Star Wars impacted spirituality and philosophy for people because it introduced a lot of Eastern philosophy. It introduced um, this idea of a force. Um, and the, the impact that it had on American spirituality is unparalleled. And I think that Last Jedi then takes that to another level um, rather than just sort of retreading the same ideas as right. like the prequels kind of did, but tried to show them like, oh, this is what they were like when they were in their fullness. Like, no, let's be more generous about it. Let's show how this spirituality um, is is enriched and deepened rather than being flashy and showy. Right. And it's 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 happening on the peripheral storylines as well. Like you have, right. you know, Rose's big moment when she saves Finn from sacrificing himself. Right. And, you know, a lot of people were really bothered by that. You know, a lot of people hate Rose and they said that that, that whole message like didn't make sense. But like you have to understand like how many people have been sacrificing themselves to like you know, destroy the first order, you know, uh, her sister sacrificed herself and then, and then Holdo sacrificed him herself. And then it's like, she's trying to change the, the nature of the resistance in a way. Right. And yeah, and that, and that, and that what I don't understand is how many people watch that movie and they hear Kylo Ren as though he's the moral. Yeah. I don't like that either. There were a lot of that whole thing about like, destroy you know you have to destroy your past and that's not the message of the movie not at all not at all no he's he is reprimanded like for that sentiment Mm -hmm. because the end of the movie is all about preserving the past but preserving it in a way that is right yeah not you know don't don't it's not it's not infallible and absolute but it's there and we have to we have to address it you can't just forget it like it's it's still a part that's that's the whole point of bringing in yoda (laughs) right that's what he teaches Luke. So yeah, we could just I, I could I could just keep talking all night about me too. About, I could too <laughs> about the Last Jedi, but that's why I, but that's why I think it's the best Star Wars movie. You know what's you know what's interesting about it is that like I, I don't I don't think I mean it's not my favorite of the Star Wars movies. I like I still just have a heart for the, the very first one, the original. Yeah. Um, but like I'm not offended at all <laughs> by people who say it's like the best one. I'm like that's cool uh, because that's because it is so great. Um, and just for, I think just the technique alone, like there are layers and layers and layers of technique, um, you know, not just the storytelling, but the filmmaking in general, the technical stuff that Ryan Johnson brought. There's more technique in this movie than in any Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it just a completely fresh and different and, you know, revolutionizing experience for the Star Wars series. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen some people, some critics, particularly like David Faraci, who said that their feeling around The Last Jedi was that that was the movie they wanted to see when the credits on Empire rolled. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, I see that. And and I and I that's that, I agree with that, and that's why like, I have to watch Empire again to get my to, to get my feeling because I'm I'm one of those people where Empire is the best um, for the longest time. Um, too, yeah. But 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 I think we can we can definitely agree that Last Jedi is better than Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Return uh, of the Jedi is great for like that opening sequence on Tatooine yes. and the throne and, room. Yes, I was just saying that to Kana last night. I was like, all the indoor stuff is just so boring to me. It is. It's it's kind of it's a slog. A slog. Yeah, and they don't. Uh, really, there's, there, nothing is really happening. Like it's all just just it's all just warfare and special effects. There's no there's no development with Han and I mean their their relationship is tense. Um, but well. What's what's cool? So talking about Machete Order, what's cool about Machete Order, and because you mentioned Leia, made me think of this, is that 
Um, Machete Order manages to preserve both twists in the two trilogies, prequel and new trilogy, uh, a prequel trilogy and original trilogy, because um, if you watch episode, if you watch it in order, one, two, three, four, five, six, the, obviously the, 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 the twist about Vader is blown. Um, right, yeah. But if you watch a Machete Order, it's still preserved. Um, yeah. But then Palpatine's reveal as as the as Darth Sidious um, is also preserved. Hmm. Um, but the other cool thing is that apparently is that it makes it makes the Leia reveal better because um, if you think about it, in Return of the Jedi, Leia's reveal as Luke's sister is so like, anticlimactic. Like there's no drama to it. It's just sort of like, oh yeah, I guess that's a thing. Yeah. Um, whereas if you watch Revenge of the Sith. You don't know that there's twins inside Padme until she delivers them. And when they deliver, it's first Luke, and then she says Leia. And that's the moment, if you're watching it in Machete Order, if you're watching Star Wars for the first time, that's the moment you realize Leia is Luke's sister. That's interesting. And it builds on the fact that the last time you see Yoda in Empire is when is when he's saying there is another as Luke takes off to go to Bespin. And so... Um, and so that it makes it makes that reveal stronger, um, and, and that I've heard it, it as a result also makes Empire stronger um, as a movie because if you watch Revenge of the um, Revenge of the Sith and then you go into Return of the Jedi, Luke's first appearance makes you think like, oh man, like he's flirting with the dark side here. Yeah. Um. So anyway, that's um. That's Star Wars. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's 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 great. It's actually great that you bring up Star Wars, Chuck, because you know this is actually going to be a banner year for uh, Star Wars. Yes, um, Episode Nine is coming out, and I can't yes. believe I, I would ever say this, but I am looking forward to what J.J. Abrams does with it. <laughs> um, I'm always yeah. hesitant, um, but I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, Some of the rumors, by the way, are pretty crazy. I haven't heard anything. The only one that I've been aware of, and I hope it's not a spoiler for anyone, but is um, uh, if you if you picked if you ever, if there's an art book um, for Force Awakens, yeah, that people have alluded to things from that will probably be in his that he's there's been some allusions made that that they're drawing from some of the abandoned ideas from Force Awakens for this, and one of those is Kylo Ren having a visit from Vader's Force ghost. Oh, interesting. So that somehow, Anakin's like. Like there's a split mm-hmm. that the dark side of Anakin can become its own force ghost where while the An evil good side ghost. of him. Yeah. Maybe in the Sith holocron. Yeah. <laughs> Just being a fanboy. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, episode nine's coming out at the end of the year. And then we also have uh, the Mandalorian. Which I am really excited for. Yeah. It's going to be the, the, their streaming service, Disney's streaming service. Um, Disney plus the very first live action Star Wars TV series. Um, show run by um, John Favreau. Yep, John Favreau and a lot of cool people um, directing. Bryce episodes. Dallas Howard is directing an episode. That's awesome. Bryce Dallas Howard, Taika Waititi. Um, yeah, they even got uh, Dave Filoni, who did, who's yeah. known for He's doing you know, the pilot. Yeah, known for creating the the Clone Wars uh, animated series, and also the new Resistance series that came out recently, which I haven't watched. Um, and Rebels. He also did Rebels, I think. Did he do Rebels? I don't, I don't really know who's behind that. I think I think he did Rebels. Okay. Um, so he's involved. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. So you guys, I can't wait to see it. And then, uh, I think they're bringing back Clone Wars for a spell. Um, and then of course, 2019, both in summer and in fall galaxy's edge, baby. I know theme park attraction, major 
major major theme park <laughs> i yeah, i wish I, I wish i was still 16 <laughs> i would be flipping out dude you you should come down this year and go with kana and the boys and i that would be awesome i would love to do that if for no other reason then it will be really it'll probably be a lot simpler to ride avatar flight of passage <laughs> because everyone's going to be over at star wars and you can actually enjoy yeah i can't even oh passage i can't even imagine the crowds they're going to be at Star Wars Land <laughs> in Disney yeah. World. Uh, I just I I, I I I can't either. And the 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 Millennium Falcon ride is if so. You've heard about this Millennium Falcon ride? Oh yeah, like you're going to pilot the Millennium Falcon or something. So like. apparently, when you go in, it's you're, there's like all the chairs of the cockpit. Oh. You're assigned one of them, so you're one of the. You're like someone's going to actually fly the thing. Someone's going to be the navigator. Someone's going to be like doing the like jump to light space calculation. Someone's going to be so someone will be in all of those all of those chairs. Yeah. And apparently every experience will be different. Yeah. Um, and apparently like decisions you make on the ride will affect like the rest of your visit at the park. Like you'll run into actors who will be like, yeah, referencing things. <laughs> I hope that they can maintain that because in the past when theme parks have tried to do stuff like that, after a while, the energy burns out on the character actors. Right. Cause I remember when, um, not that this is the best example to draw from, but I remember when the Holy land experience in Orlando <laughs> opened and they tried to maintain that for a while with like Roman soldiers walking around and hassling guests and stuff. Um, or they would have like, like zealots come and try to like talk to you about joining their cause and, and stuff. Like See, it was cool, but they did not keep it for, I don't think, I don't think it lasted the whole year. I, I would love to go to that and we could dress up as the people's liberation front of Judea from life of Brian. <laughs> or, the, or, or just a like modern day, like Hezbollah. <laughs> <laughs> I could wear my kefia that I got in Syria. Yeah, well, I've got Have I told you about my green kefia? I think you have. What, what, I have a green kefia. Yeah, I, I bought a green kefia, and in, in, in when I was in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, I thought it was really cool, and so I bought it in a in in a market, and because um, uh, I didn't see too many green ones around, and so I went and tracked down this really pretty emerald green one, and our bus driver, um, who I be, who was um, I hope I'm not like outing anyone, but he was he was Palestinian, and when he saw it. He was like, oh, that's Hezbollah color. <laughs> I was like, what? What? He's like, yeah, that's what Hezbollah wear. They wear the green kefia. I was like, all right. Oh, that's funny. I thought that I thought that the colors were regional because I thought red was Saudi Arabia, green was Palestine, and black was um I don't know, maybe that maybe yeah, I think that is I think black is Palestine, because I remember um what's his name? Oh, what was the guy's name? Oh, I forgot. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but that's that's funny. Yeah. That's, yeah. I have a black one, a purple one and a green one. So whenever I have the green one, I'm always like I always get kind of like I feel I feel rebellious. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, cool. Well, yeah. So yeah, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Uh, that's opening this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to go when it opens because, you know, the crowds, it's going to be insane. Well, but, dude. And uh, well, then there's the hotel. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's true. Which that's, I don't know if, if that's opening yet, but the hotel, dude, I, have, I don't know if we've talked about the hotel on this show. The hotel is like everything I wanted when I was 13 years old. 
So it's basically you, you dress up as a character. Is that what I'm hearing? Like you, they give you an You outfit? basically opt in. You can like opt in to like a role play part of the hotel. That's amazing. And your whole family, you're, so apparently like, like the hotel room, like the windows are going to be designed, like it'll be enclosed. There'll be no like natural light in the place um, because the windows are going to look like star fields going past um, like you're on a ship Wow. and you're fit. You will be issued uniforms to wear and you will be in character and there will be other people like you'll be given like your role and what you're doing. I think you can kind of sign up like which side of the conflict you want to be. And they will give you little tasks and things every day that you can do, like relay secret information to like members of the rebellion or or whatever. Um, That's amazing. That's I hope they stick with it. Like, I hope they I hope they go they go for it. And I I, and I hope that these actors are being paid well, (laughs) because that's a lot of work. You know you want to do it, right? Like oh, I would yeah. do it. I, I'll, I'll do it, man. I, I, don't, I have no sham anymore. <laughs> I'll dress up as Han Solo. You better treat me like a smuggler. Um, well, and the, and the thing is too. I mean, you think about like how many how many Disney employees are you know they're they're theater students. They're looking for so the, to yeah. do this gives them more ability to hire more people from drama departments and give them some kind of acting credentials for their you know. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's actually it's actually kind of clever. Yeah. Um, speaking of Disney, Chuck. Yes. I, I, I watched something interesting. Uh, the other day, um, as you know, I'm a big I'm a big uh, proponent of of YouTube. I yes. like watching the smaller YouTube channels. Yes, uh, I stumbled upon a um, a video called um, uh, "Remain Seated, Please," and it's like a 25 long documentary made by a student filmmaker, and it's about um, these two guys who met in the 90s at Epcot Center. And became best friends because of their shared love of Epcot's Horizons. Okay. Do you remember Horizons? Uh, I vaguely. I, I I never got to ride it. I don't know why I didn't. I went to Epcot plenty of times in the nineties, and yeah, I never rode it. But like apparently, according to like Disney Park like super fans, Horizons was like one of the best rides at Disney World. Okay. Because it was like this kind of like a showcase of like what the future was going to be like. You went to one space, and it was like this is what a farm is going to look like. This is what, you know, schools are going to like. You have like robots and there's all these animatronics. Yes, that is. Okay, because I, I remember some of that stuff incorporated into innovations later on. Okay, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And that's the stuff that Epcot has lost and it's very sad. Okay, yeah. go on. Yeah, because that because Horizons closed down in 1999. Right. 20 years ago. Oh, my God. <gasps> 1999 uh, is like the thing we're talking about right now. So maybe we should be uh, – maybe some prints should show up in, or, or uh, <laughs> Limp Bizkit. Limp Bizkit, Limp Bizkit. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Um, so these two, these two guys, they're, they're, they call themselves Chief and Hoot. Nice. Uh, they meet each other in Epcot, and they, they're, they're like obsessed with Horizons. And they loved it so much, uh, they decided one day that, to get off of the ride in the middle of it and just explore. Because apparently Horizons didn't have security cameras. Oh, wow. And so they did this thing called um, The Gap, where they would like, one person would stay near the loading zone of the, of the tram, and one person would stay near the entrance. And they would give a signal if there was like enough uh, uh, a gap between people coming into the ride, and so it's just like a constantly loading, you know, ride. And yeah. since it's Epcot, it's not that busy in the nineties. Um, so not that busy now. Yeah, no. And so uh, that's how they, they would get off the tram, and they would just they would take video cameras and still and still cameras, and just take pictures and video themselves interacting with the, with the animatronics sitting in the furniture, like going behind the scenes, and they showed all this footage. It's amazing. Um, and it's, it's really good. I'm not going to, it's actually, it's really funny. 
it's really exciting. It brought back a lot of memories because, you know, I used to live in Orlando back in the 90s. And we definitely got into some mischief and mayhem. We never, we always got caught. We weren't like these guys. We didn't have their skill. Um, but you know, it was it was just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, look it up. It's called um, "Please Remain Seated" or "Remain Seated, Please." Remain seated, please. Okay. Um, it's funny. I'll send. Oh, you know what? I'm going to put it on our site. There you go. Um, it's very funny and has a very unexpectedly touching end. Uh, so check it out. It's good. And that actually led me to. Um, discover the phenomenon that is the blog spot disney blogs <laughs> i don't know if you know about that there's no like, there's like a whole community of disney park fans and they're all on blog spot okay and this is actually where all that footage came from these two guys eventually started this blog called the mesa verde farms which is the the farm that was in the ride of uh, mm-hmm. horizons and the the blog was all about their adventures and horizons but there's other blogs there's one called like gorillas gorillas don't type or something which is like a Jungle Cruise joke. And they're just all oh, these... okay, yeah. Like all these just like behind-the-scenes blogs about the, about the Disney, about the Disney oh, parks, no. and they're all on Blogspot. And they're so outdated, I, but they keep updating them. Oh, thank you for letting me know about this, because now <laughs> I will get nothing accomplished this, this next week. I'll send you links. Um, I should... That, that would actually make a pretty cool uh, feature to write about uh, Disney park blogs. Yeah, well, and... and um, I mean, I, obviously, being the the Disney super fan that I am yeah. um, at this point in my life, I I love that kind of stuff. And I will say that I I am very nostalgic and um, and wistful for um, late '80s to '90s Epcot. Um, you love when, this documentary, dude. Because here's the thing: I I'm sad that Epcot is adding more and more intellectual property into their yeah, stuff. That's not cool. Um, because what I loved about Epcot is I loved that Future World, which is the what I what I loved about Epcot first of all was that when you would go, it was like two parks for the price of one because you would get Future World and the World Showcase. Yeah. And I, what I loved about Future World is I just loved the way that like I could like I could dream about what the future looks like. And to me, to me, Future World is what the future looks like. Mm-hmm. Like Epcot, like the. From the rounded corners on the signs to that to that really cool rounded um, sans serif font that the, that the Epcot logo is to just all of that to me like to the design of the monorail, um, lots of rounded corner hexagons. That to me is the future. <laughs> um, you know, basically like Star Trek: The Next Generation, but yeah. less but less uh, but less khaki colored um, is to me that's the future to me, and that's the future I want to see. The future that, you know, like the NASA logo sort of evoked, um, yeah. um, you know, the worm logo, NASA. Um, and um, and that's, you know, disappearing. Um, and just I think in terms of graphic design and aesthetics, I think it's just perfect. And I loved that um, my favorite part of of one of my favorite parts in, tomorrow, in Future World was on um, Spaceship Earth. Um, where you would on your descent from the top. Um, you would see like their image of what the future would look like, you know, what a future city would look like and all that kind of stuff. And they took all that away. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And it's not as, it's not as, there's, 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 to me, there's less imagination hmm. to it. And yes, I know like that vision of the future looked a little dated, but it was so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're but, right. uh, I mean, you know, what's funny is like the mention, you mentioned the world showcase. I think the world showcase is why I didn't go on horizons. Cause I feel like every time I went to Epcot, whoever I was with got, would get like really distracted with the world showcase and we never ended up in like the futuristic area. 
Yeah, well, there's like nothing to do in Future World now yeah. uh, except for the land and Soren. Um, and um, I mean, like the Lion King ride is now gone, which is very sad. Um, oh, with the exception of the uh, the uh, the living, oh, living seas. seas. I always went on that. Now, don't get me started on the Living Seas because <laughs> I, I know what happened in Living Seas. And it, it, is, it is it is it is an affront to our creator what they did to the Living Seas. Yeah, like as somebody who deeply loves Finding Nemo, what they did to the Living Seas is not right. <laughs> um, Retrofitting the Finding Nemo on top of Living Seas, right? That's yeah, that's what they yeah. did. And the thing is, is like Living Seas. For listeners who don't know, Living Seas back when we were kids was um, was really hokey and amazing because. Yeah. You were visiting Sea Base Alpha, Hell yeah, and yeah. it involved walking in. You watched this documentary about the formation of the oceans, which, which is really uh, ominous, by the way. Yeah, really ominous <laughs> documentary. You think it's like, is this like a horror movie? Oh, yeah. it's just creation. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, when I was Baptist and we go to Disney, we were told to basically like plug our ears during, which was hilarious, <laughs> um, <laughs> because obvious um it wasn't six days creation but um there was the formation of the ocean which i love and then you went from the theater onto an elevator aqualator aqualator yes (laughs) that took you below the ocean when i was little i ate that up (laughs) i thought i was really going somehow below the ocean never mind that i did not have any understanding of the geography of orlando and there's no way that i'm going under the ocean right but i love that um i love the aqualator and then you get into sea base, which I mean, still looks the same, but there was this real vision of like, this is an undersea base. And I was like, this is what I want. Like, I want to live here as oh, a, yeah. like, I wanted to live here. I wanted to find out, you know, where are the quarters? Where is all that? I mean, it kind of looked like Sequest, which was awesome. <laughs> um, I loved it. I loved it so much. And then they turned it into a Nemo attraction. And I mean, like I said, for the most part, it looks the same, but because it doesn't have that whole buildup of like being in the future and going to like some kind of futuristic undersea base, it's just not the same. And then on top of that, the Coral Reef restaurant, which is attached to it, they redid it to make it look like a, uh, to make it look like a, like a cheesecake factory inside. It no longer looks like the place where, um, where Uncle Jesse proposed to, um, Aunt Rebecca. I was going to say. It no longer looks I, like that. I anymore. remember being on the the people mover they put you on that you go through the the aquarium and you see that that bubble that's out there. Not there anymore. What? Bubble's gone, dude. Oh man, the bubble is where Uncle Jesse and and, and Joey and Joey had their episode of the radio show <laughs> underwater, right. and then they were terrified they couldn't leave it because there was a shark <laughs> circling and they were scared of the shark. <laughs> God, that was, you know, the fun thing about that, that was when Disney's attendance was kind of dicey in the mid 90s. Yeah, and so, was dicey. yeah. And so they had all of those, um, every single one of those um, TGIF shows did an episode where they went to Disney World yeah. as a way to, in, in order to, to drum uh, up um, pop culture interest in the theme parks. Yeah, the, the Full House episodes where they went to Disney World were my jam. Uh, it was a two-part episode yeah. um, that involved a lot, right? Because is that that's when Je- that's when uh, Jesse and Rebecca and Jesse and Becky uh, got pro- right? They proposed, or did they get married there? I think they did. They get married there, and and then it was Danny who proposed to what's her face? Yeah, I th- think the, the the his co-host on the yeah. show. Yeah, I think that's what happened. And it's also yeah, that's right because he's proposing to her at the Coral Reef restaurant, and they yeah. see that Joey and Jesse are like being like besieged by this like lemon shark, and so <laughs> they they like decide to try to go help them or whatever. Yeah, but then Michelle disappears, right? Because she makes have, she uh, makes the wish, the the, the, the genie, right. the Aladdin genie, right? And they say, "Whoa, baby!" because the genie shows up. Yeah. <laughs> 
Right, because they, they grant her the three wishes. Like, she can do whatever she wants in Disney World. But I forgot what she, right. her wishes were. Right, but don't they eventually find her at the carousel in Magic Kingdom? I think that's where it, like, kind of all culminates. I guess so. I don't remember. Anyway. It's been a long time, my friend. I can't believe I remember that. That's crazy. Anyway, if you want to see what the Coral Reef restaurant <laughs> looked like in its – the way our good Lord intended, watch that episode of Full House. It's so funny. Um, I, I wish – it's like – it. I miss I miss the Living Seas because it kind of reminded me of Sea Lab 2021. Oh gosh, <laughs> yes, what a great show. The funny thing about just as a side about Sea Lab 2021, um, on Sunday mornings, um, my mom my mom's always been an early service person. She she loved going to the 8 a.m. church service, so she wake me up at like five in the morning, yeah. and she would wake me up oftentimes by just turning on the TV. Well, for whatever reason, I don't know what channel it was, TBS or something. Um, they would play all of those Hanna-Barbera cartoons like mm-hmm. uh, like um, Birdman, Space Ghost, and then um, C-Lab 2020. Yeah. And so I used to watch – I used to watch all of those and particularly C-Lab 2020. So when C-Lab 2021 came out, like I felt – I felt very special because I had seen the original <laughs> show. Uh, it's, uh, I, I decided to watch an episode a few weeks ago. Um, and it was my, my, my favorite episode, which is when all the power goes out in the lab and the entire show just takes place with the lab during a blackout on, on screen. And it's just people yelling at each other the entire episode. (laughs) And it's still hilarious. (laughs) You know, this just as I'm thinking about our I'm thinking about this, this rift that we've gone on, JP, we started this episode a little bit talking about new Hollywood and yeah. how they, these groundbreaking filmmakers were sort yeah. of drawing on these different inspirations to do stuff to kind of speak to their worldview and the way they they understood things. And now here we are talking about um, what um, um, Adult Swim was doing with <laughs> G- Gen X filmmakers yeah. um, who were given um who were given sort of here's the Hanna-Barbera back catalog, do whatever you want with it. Right. And to come up with some of the most subversive, creative yeah. uh, animation. I mean, we've talked, I know we've talked before on this show at length about Space Goes Coast to Coast and what an, what an incredible, incredible show that was. Yeah. I, and, and by the way, this, this brings up just a side note. I hope y'all are enjoying our Instagram bumps. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, they are very uh, John Post. They are very they are very much like Adult Swim. <laughs> Maybe a little too much. I should probably rein it back a little. Uh, but I'm having fun. That's all. I'm having fun. Yeah, with it. I, I it seemed, we're getting likes and some interest. So I know we've, we've gotten more likes on our Instagram than we've gotten on our Facebook in like the past three years. Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm actually kind of thinking I'm thinking about leaving Facebook. So oh really? Yeah. Again. Like for real though, like actually deleting it. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. Because uh, the Zuck, the 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 Zuck is kind of a monster. Oh, I know. There's so much, so much crap. Cheryl Sandberg is also kind of a monster. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the stuff that they, the stuff that they've known about and just allowed to happen, or just the shady stuff they've been engaged in, um, it just makes me want to not reward them. And you know, something you said last year, year before JP, that it stuck with me, and that is you're bothered by the fact. You, you said you brought it by the fact that, that that Facebook is sort of insisted upon being your gateway to the internet. Yeah, kind of like how and, AOL was. Yeah, and I realized that that's so true. And um, and I've been thinking a lot about like the church 
and how like churches push. You got to have a good Facebook page if you want to reach people. You know, that's where people are. You got to be present on social media. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do I have to give in to what some corporate structure says I have to give in to? Yeah. Like, why? Why? Why is corporate America dictating what I do in the church? I mean, and, it, am I supporting something that is ostensibly bad? And you know what's 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 funny though is that like it only really works if you have like loads of money to drop into it to use for their their targeting systems, right? Advertising targeting system because ask any YouTube creator who's doing pretty well and kind of getting by, uh, they'll tell you it's not about how you market things. It is a it's, it really is about what you're putting out there because if right. it sucks, no one's going to watch it, right? Like they're not going to watch it because you had a great ad. You right. Know, like the Aaron Minky thing I showed you. He talked all about it. Yeah. Too. On Twitter. Yeah. That thing about, about podcasts, that it's all about creating a good podcast instead of, instead of, you know. Yeah. So like, I mean, I think you're, you're probably on the right track there, Chuck. I mean, I, I would love to, to actually take this podcast away from Facebook because I don't think it's really doing anything for us. I feel like Instagram is where it's really at. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Facebook owns Instagram. I know. I know. We're trying, but trying I understand, to get as much out of it as I possibly can. Totally. But I understand that the, subs, that the subsidiaries of Facebook have a degree of autonomy. Yeah. That like because like there's some instances about WhatsApp, but WhatsApp has been able to kind of they've they've done they've because they're also owned by Facebook, um, and they've done they've done something to uh, to uh, differentiate themselves and to work yeah. on like fake news stuff and well conspiracy I, theory stuff. And I, I, I'm just I think our Instagram is way more interesting than our Facebook page. I mean everything that's yes. on our Facebook page originates on Instagram anyway. <laughs> right, right. It gives, it gives me a little bit more creative freedom to, to push things. Um, but uh, having said that, since we have a few minutes left, um, do you want to kind of talk about, uh, I mean, not, not spoil anything, but like just kind of talk and mention about our 2019 and, you know, what we're planning? Um, sure. So, uh, you know, this is our, going to be like, what, our third year? Is that, are we approaching our third year anniversary? Third so, year. Yeah. Um, so... You probably noticed that we're a bit more active these days on social media. We're on yep. YouTube now, uh, and um, make yeah. it make it, let your finger have a good journey to the subscribe button. Hell yeah! Uh, so 2019, we're actually planning on uh, being our biggest year yet. We want to break out this year. We do. We want to get more viewers, and that requires better content. We're aware of this. Yes. And so you're going to see much more focused yes even though we're doing an episode that's completely unfocused right now yeah i know this is well you're, you're gonna see something like we love to riff it's fun um it's fun for us um so just say, just saying you know keep your eyes peeled we're gonna do a lot of cool stuff this year we have a lot of cool plans um things that are happening this year like i said star wars is having banner year we got a big plan for that um this is the 80th anniversary of batman so we got some ideas for that uh, music mayhem of course we're gonna do it we would never Never skip a music mayhem. No, no, no. Uh, it's going to be even more musicy and mayhemy. I'm sure. <laughs> we are, we are, we are going to, uh, we are going to uh, risk everything um, by talking about anime. Yes, that that is a big event that we're planning. We're going to have a, a, a month dedicated to the anime uh, medium, the Japanese animation, and um, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> we're still trying to figure out uh, which what we're going to watch. And uh, which month it's going to be, <laughs> but uh, yeah, because uh, we, we we just as an aside, we had thought about calling it, which was a great name, was Anime. Yeah, anime. but we've already but, had, uh, we have uh, we have music we have music mayhem. We, we can't, can't we can't get that up. No, we can't move that. No, no, it's a fixture. Um, I think it'd be funny if we did like Anna February. Just 
<laughs> yeah, so you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a different year. There's gonna you're gonna see more of us, and uh, more focused, and it, it's gonna be bigger. And well, better. and also let's well, let's talk a little bit about how we've 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 already offered at least I have already offered some additional some additional programming, right. For our podcast, and that is right. um, th- that is the, the the pop culture catechism. Yes, we are going to be utilizing YouTube more. Uh, you know, you'll be able to find brand new episodes of the podcast on YouTube, as well as uh, some uh, videos produced by us, uh, namely pop culture catechism. catechism. And just for, so we can kind of talk about, if you're curious, uh, we'll have more descriptions and stuff as we build this stuff up over the year. But um, pop culture catechism is um, is. Uh, um, a, uh, a video series. I'm hoping to kind of keep it within um, about a 10 minute time frame. That's good. Um, where it will be um, some kind of some kind of tenant of the Christian faith, but told from a sort of pop culture framework. So um, I talked about the incarnation using a Lego figure, mm-hmm. and I talked about uh, the Nicene Creed and how it works as a doctor as as uh, as a, a to- in its, in its relationship to doctrine by talking about uh, the difference between the 1998 Sony uh, Godzilla and the 2014 uh, American Godzilla, which so, was very interesting, <laughs> and it's totally it's very much our brand. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it, 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 it honestly, it, as a listener, if you were listening, and, and are there are there topics about God that you would like to see me? Or do this with uh, Father Fun, who is a friend of the show, who is um, who is a, a regular contributor, um, has been, or has been a regular contributor. We haven't had him this past year, I don't think. Yeah. Um, Not since Music Mayhem, I think. He is. Uh, that's right. Yeah, because we had him for the Hamilton episode. Um, he is. Um, um, he he is also wanting to work with me on this uh, and, and 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 contribute. So you'll see some more priestly people. Um, chiming in on the pop culture catechism um, um, this year. Um, I don't know that it's going to be weekly. That might be a tough thing to stick with, but hopefully once a month there will be a new pop culture catechism piece. Um, And I just, as an aside, JP, what was kind of cool is um, I, I, you know, I have a YouTube, I have the YouTube app, um, which of course I can mirror to my television. Mm -hmm. And so the other day I watched one of the pop culture catechism videos on my television in my living room. It was kind of cool to see myself on my TV. (laughs) Not going to lie. Not going to lie. So you can do that too. You, if you have the YouTube app, um, you can, uh, you can watch us on your television. Yeah. Um, you can, uh, yeah, we're going to do some interesting things with YouTube and that's actually the thing I'm, I'm probably most excited for because we're all, we're going to, we're going to flex creatively using YouTube. And uh, it might just it might end up, it might take us down a path where you don't just listen to us. You might be seeing right. more of us as we record this podcast, even. Right. And as a result of that, too, we've talked about this in the past a little bit, and we're trying not to hammer it too much because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. Um, but we do have a Patreon. Right. Um, if you would like to be a, if you'd like to be a patron of our show, um, we uh, we 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 have a patron. Yes, we do. Um, and so thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, if you, if this is something you would like to, you know, you want to see more stuff because we could benefit from it. Right. We could benefit from your money to do better videos, um, and, and other things. So, um, and I think, and I think, you know, aside from just having the, having fun we've had with the podcast, I think we're, we're, we're realizing that we're kind of doing God's work here. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to use pop culture to talk about, um, 
matters of faith and spirituality and just also just talk about culture yeah. in general. Um, I think what, it, I've, what, I've, what I've liked about what, how I've liked watching our podcast grow is, you know, it's not just taking a message from this and then comparing it to a message in the Bible. It's right. like we're, we're kind of examining all sides of everything. Like we're looking at things theologically. We're looking at things psychologically, philosophically, uh, mm-hmm. within our own emotional experience, uh, the cultural context. Yeah. Um, that's why I say, like, you know, we, we know what we're talking about. And that's why watching this other podcast and, you know, started comparing and contrasting. Um, so, but that, that's what I liked about us. And I, I think we are doing something unique. I, I have found other podcasts that are in, in a, a quote intersection between faith and pop culture unquote but there's something different about us i, I think it's because our extensive knowledge in all these different fields and i think yeah. it's also we try to be funny and also we have we have u- a unique background and relationship with the evangelical church i think it really informs how we approach everything too Right. And I think what I think I like about us, as opposed to some of the other podcasts that I've heard that are similar to to this, is that to us, is that we're not I don't think that we we don't come across as sort of like jaded, bitter and burned out on our experience with the evangelical church. Like, obviously, we have like we have our baggage and hangups about it. And we're not always positive about that experience. But our whole thing isn't sort of like, let's give a giant middle finger to our past. I think, again, going back to our earlier Star Wars conversation, it's not about destroying what came before, but by being able to sort of embrace the things that were good out of it and bring it into where we are now. To learn from it. To learn from it and to share. I mean, I personally, I think of this past year, um, my favorite episode that we recorded, I think, is the one on uh, is the one we did a few weeks ago uh, about Christian dating. I think that's been that was a lot of fun. I think it was that was our that 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 was top and, top episode. Um, and Josh, thank you so much for making your appearance and recording that intro, buddy. That was that was really nice. You didn't have to go out of your way to do that. I really appreciate that. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, that and that happened. <laughs> so we can boast that we had Rob Bell and Joshua Harris on our. <laughs> And I hear uh, we might even get John Eldridge, uh, maybe. No, no. I think, no. I think he might make an appearance. Actually, we, you know, we, because we did that, because we did talk about I Kiss Dating Goodbye, we really, as, as three white former evangelical males, we totally need to do an episode about Wild at Heart. Oh, hell we yeah. We need to. That is a Christian curiosity episode just waiting to happen. Also, a book I never read. Oh, Oh. I managed. You're gonna managed, throw it across the room. I can already tell. I like, managed to get through four years of Palm Beach Atlantic University <laughs> and not crack Wild at Heart. I actually <laughs> bought a copy of it at one point just to have it, nice. and I said nah and got rid of it. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot to look forward to this year. It's gonna, we're going to try our hardest to make it our biggest year yet, and uh, not just to, you know to make a lot of money or to get a lot of viewers, uh, but we, we, we want to make really great stuff, stuff that we could be proud of that we can look back on fondly. I mean, to be fair, we are in an age of, of there is a glut of podcasts out there. Oh yeah. It's so getting, the fact that you're yeah. choosing to listen to us is just thank you because <laughs> you've got a lot of options out there. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to end Chuck. I agree. I agree. Uh, I got children anyway. Um, sorry, Matt couldn't be here I miss you, buddy. Uh, but he'll probably be with us next week. Yep. Um, anyway, so Father Chuck, thank you so much 
As always, you're welcome, and I'm excited for 2019. Me too. Uh, and audience, internet, thank you so much for listening and, 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 and coming with us this far. Uh, Ooh. Yes. Can we, make a, can we make a vow? Sure. Go ahead. Uh, Do we want to wait for Matt before we make a vow? Let's covenant here. I think you'd agree with me. Okay. Um, let's covenant. Um, I mean, we can, re, we can reassert this with Matt if we want. Um, I, I, blissfully, it wasn't so bad this year. But one of the things that I've really, really just kind of have grown just sick of in Internet culture mm-hmm. is the treatment of the, the outgoing year as though it was the worst year in history. And just talk about how horrible everything is and like, oh, it's killed so many people. Like we had that in 2016, like 2016 strikes again and all that kind of garbage. Let's let's just, you know, maybe it's easy for us right now because we're at the start of a year to be like, yay, we're positive. Um, But like, let's 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 not try to like go that route. Father Chuck, thank you so much. You're welcome. And audience, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. And good journey. Good journey. Good journey.